I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's start by going to the Word in prayer, or to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this time to open your word, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray today that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Lord, give us a heart of devotion to studying your word, to dig into your word, to read it, to understand it, and to apply it to our lives, Lord. Give us a devotion to your word. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be looking at that whole chapter this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 933 in the Pew Bible. It's page 933 in the Pew Bible. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, page 933 in the Pew Bible. Now as we get into 2023, we want to change course here at First Bastrop. We need, desperately need, to change course here at First Bastrop. We talked about that last week. We are not a growing church. In fact, the hard reality is we are a dying church. Make no mistake about it, this church is dying. That's the hard reality. Face the numbers. In 2016... Our average attendance for a Sunday morning worship service was 167. In 2022, our average attendance for worship service was 78. We have decreased our attendance by 53% in six years. That is the nature of a dying church. So hear my words. If we don't change course, First Bastrop, First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana will not be around in 10 years. In fact, if that trend continues, it'll be less than five years and we will close these doors. We have to change course. Now what do we need to do? We need to go back to the beginning. We need to get back to the basics. Last week, we went to the book of Acts, and we saw from the early church, which was a growing church. They were growing because they had wonderful devotions. They had core devotions that kept them healthy and thriving. And God was blessed to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we identified five devotions of a growing church. Those devotions, if you'll remember, were a devotion to studying God's Word. 
So not just God's word. We can say we're devoted to God's word. God's word is great and wonderful, but never crack it open. Never apply it to our lives. So it's not just the, the being devoted to God's word and word only, but being devoted to the study of God's word, learning what it means and applying that to our lives. So studying God's word to the Christian fellowship, to worship, to prayer, and to evangelism. These devotions are so important that we need to take time to focus in on those. As we we look to change direction, as we look to change course, we need to look at these five devotions. We need to examine them one by one by one and learn how to apply them to our church. Both individually as church members and corporately as a church body. And so today I want us to focus in on that first devotion, devotion to studying God's Word. So today we're going to see this, a growing church is devoted to studying God's Word. A growing church, a healthy church is devoted to studying God's Word. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which last week we talked about, that meant the, the Word of God. Like, right, the apostles' teaching are preserved for us in Scripture. They were authorized by God to, to, to teach the church Jesus' teachings to write them down and and give them to us. They were uh, authorized by God to give us new revelation. And so we have that in the New Testament. So we should be devoted to studying God's Word. So today, I want us to learn why. Why should we be devoted to God's Word? What are the reasons why Devotion to studying God's Word is so important to the health and the growth of the church. And so today I take us to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. Now let me tell you the context here, what's going on here in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, whom Paul has sent to Ephesus to pastor this church. So Paul's off somewhere else at this time, and he sent Timothy there to to pastor this church in Ephesus. Some things are taking place there, so there's some issues, there's there's some problems taking place. And so Paul is writing Timothy to address some of these difficulties, but at the same time, he wants to help young Timothy to be a good pastor. And and so he, he takes this opportunity to point out some things that Timothy really needs to be focused on. And so in chapter 4, Paul focuses on that which must be, must be of, of first priority to young Timothy. And that is the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Notice what he says down here in, in verses uh, 13 and 15. He makes this absolutely clear there, clear here. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So Paul, he he says, devote yourself to preaching and teaching God's Word. Don't neglect this. 
Practice it. Immerse yourself in it. All of these imperatives. He's saying, in other words, what he's telling Timothy is what he will later tell him in 2 Timothy, his second letter. Preach the word. In season, out of season, preach the word. When it's popular, when it's not popular, preach the word. Timothy, your most important, your primary importance, uh, our primary duty to the church is to preach and teach God's word. That is of primary importance. Because this is where everything comes from. Everything we do comes out of this book. That's why, that's my first priority as your pastor. My first priority is not to visit you in the hospital. That's important. And I will do that. My first priority is not to, to go knocking door to door and invite people to church. I will do that, but that's not my first priority. My first priority as your pastor is to preach the word, to feed you God's word. Because that's how you grow. You grow when you're fed God's Word. That's why Jesus, when he talked to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. If you love me, feed my sheep. And so the first priority of a preacher is to preach the Word and teach God's Word. It has to be. Because if the people of God are not getting fed the Word, then the church dies of malnutrition. So that's why I spend so much time preparing messages and digging into Bible study because I want to give, make sure I'm doing my first priority to preach the Word. And that's got to be a priority in the church. And what Paul says here in chapter 4 about preaching and teaching to Timothy, it can absolutely be applied to our personal Bible study as well. Right? The preaching and teaching of God's Word in the church was the primary way, way the people back in that day got the Word, but today we have God's Word in our hands. Everybody here has got the Bible in your lap. They didn't have that back then. You have the luxury, you have the privilege from God to take God's Word home with you and to study it on your own. So the church as a whole must be devoted to studying God's Word here when we gather together at church on Sunday and in your homes. So let's devote ourselves to studying God's Word. Now in this text, we see here three reasons why the studying of God's Word is so important. Three reasons we desperately need to devote ourselves as a church, corporately, and as a church, individually. We need to devote ourselves to studying God's Word. And so in every paragraph, there's three paragraphs in this chapter, and in each paragraph, Paul addresses another reason why preaching and teaching, studying God's Word, is so important to the life and vitality of the church. So, I want us to see that today. So as we began here then in the first paragraph, and we're just going to work through this, look there at the first paragraph. In this first paragraph, we learn that devotion to studying God's Word protects against false teaching. Right? The first reason that studying God's Word is so important is because studying God's Word protects the church 
against false teaching. Notice what he says there. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the, by the word of God and prayer. Now, there's a lot of things going on here in this text. Here in this first paragraph, Paul is uh, addressing a specific heresy that was going on in the first century. There was a, a group of teachers who were uh, apparently going around and they were promoting salvation through asceticism, right? They, they were promoting this salvation through asceticism. So if you're, you're a true Christian, then you abstain from marriage and you abstain from certain foods, right? You, you don't do certain things. And, and, and they were preaching this false gospel. This is the way of salvation, or at the very least, this was the way of tr- uh, a mature faith. And so they were promoting this in the church. He addresses that same issue back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and 8. He's dealing with the same issue there in the church at Corinth. And so this was something that was going on in Paul's day. I, I'm, I hate to say it, but that we're not really dealing with that kind of uh, danger today. In our day, it's less about abstinence, abstinence and more about indulgence. We see more people preaching about indulgence and gospel of indulgence. Think about the health and wealth gospel. But heresy remains, right? False teaching is false teaching. Notice that now the, he, he identifies here for us the, the nature of false teaching. Notice again what he says there in that first little line there. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times... Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience, consciences are seared. Notice the nature of false teaching. Number one, it is demonic. False teaching is demonic. Jesus tells us, that Satan is the father of lies, right? He is the father of lies who's been lying from the very beginning. He was the one who was there in in the Garden of Eden who came to Adam and Eve and said, oh, did God really say? Oh, don't listen. God was, he was lying. You won't really die, right? He was the deceiver from the beginning, and Jesus says he's the father of lies. That means that every lie, every deception has its root in Satan. He is the father of lies. Every false teaching has a demonic source behind it. But not only is it demonic, but it's deceptive. It's deceptive. Now, think about that. Deceit is the action or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. It's it's dressing up falsehood. 
right? A, a liar doesn't tell you he's lying. No, he, he wants to make you think it's the truth. He flowers it up. Right? He makes it look pretty and beautiful and wonderful and good. And, and he makes it sound like it's enticing. Oh, that sounds right. That sounds good. That sounds true. It's deceitful. It's meant to deceive. It, it's not going to let its deceitful nature be known. It's going to hide itself. Even in half-truths, partial truths. False teachers know how to walk the walk and talk the talk. They are masters of deception. For they are products of, their, their master, of the master deceiver himself. Speaking of false teachers, Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. False teachers are so good at deception that so often they are celebrated they're celebrated in Christian circles. Take, for instance, this little book right here. Uh-oh. Going to get in trouble here. Jesus Calling. This is celebrated by Christians as a wonderful devotion Sold in Lifeway bookstores. I mean, you can buy this by the cases in Li at Lifeway. But is it a devotion? Now, devotion is a Christian's thoughts on God's Word. And I'm not down on devotions. I've used devotionals. Charles Spurgeon's written a wonderful devotion. There's other guys, who, uh, other men and women, who have written some great devotionals. But understand, a devotional is a person's thoughts on Scripture. A man or a woman sits down and says, here's this passage of Scripture, here's what God says, here's my thoughts on it, here's how this applies, here's the explanation, application of this text of Scripture. But what does Jesus' calling do? Well, let me just read what Sarah Young says about Jesus' calling. From her introductory and uh, introduction, and this is an early edition, uh, well, I understand it that in latter editions she changes this because it caused too much stir among Christians. During that time, she's talking about a time that she went through, she said, I began reading God Calling, a devotional book written by two anonymous listeners. These women practice waiting quietly in God's presence. Pencils in hand, pencils and paper in hand, recording the messages they receive from him. That should get your spidey senses tingling. The messages are written in the first person with I designating God. Now skip down a little bit to the next paragraph. The following year. I began to wonder if I too could receive messages during my times of communicating with God. 
I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearn for more. Stop there. Another tingle should come upon your spine. I know that God speaks to me through His Bible, through Scripture, but I long for something more. The Bible is not enough. The Bible is insufficient. I need more from God than His very Word. Oh, that should stir in us. Let me go on. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, write down what I believed he was saying. She goes on down a little bit here and said, I I knew these writings were not inspired as Scripture is. Not that they weren't inspired, but they're not as inspired as Scripture is. But they were helping me grow closer to God. I've continued to receive personal messages from God as I meditate on Him. Then she goes on to say, I wanted to share some of these messages I had received. And the Bible, of course, is the only inerrant Word of God. Yes, you got that right. My writings must be consistent with the unchanging standard. I have written them from Jesus' point of view. Let me back up there. My writings must be consistent with Scripture. That sounds very pious, but we use the same, we use the same principle when we are interpreting Scripture, right? Scripture interprets Scripture. We, we uh, interpret James according to the rest of the Bible. We, we interpret 1 Timothy in accordance with the rest of Scripture, Scripture does interpret Scripture. She's not saying that her word here is not Scripture. She's just saying, hey, you've got to interpret according to the rest of Scripture. Then she says, I have written them from Jesus' point of view. The first person singular, I, me, mine, always refers to Christ. You refers to you, the reader. So the prescriptive is that of Jesus speaking to you. I know some people here love this book. But hear what she is saying. Scripture is insufficient. Scripture, God's Word, this book that we are to build our lives upon, this book is insufficient? There's not enough in here to teach you how to live for Christ? There's not enough in here to teach you about who Jesus is, what He has done, how He works in your life. There's not enough here. This isn't enough. This isn't sufficient. No, we need something more. And then she says that she took it upon herself to sit down and receive a word from God with pen and paper in hand. And she wrote what God told her. Isn't that what 2 Peter what Peter tells us in 2 Peter first, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. She's claiming to be apostle, an apostle, a prophet, who's receiving a new word from Jesus and delivering it to you. She says this is a new revelation. 
It's a new revelation. Now let me ask you this. If that's what Sarah Young says about her little book, that these are not her words, but these are Jesus' words that she received with pen and paper in hand, what makes this different from the Quran? What makes this different from the Book of Mormon? This is not a good little devotion book. This is heresy. It's heresy. And there may be some true things in it, but that's what deceivers do, right? They mingle in a little truth. So it sounds pleasing and good and right, and you buy it. But read the introduction. She's claiming to be an apostle. She's claiming to be a prophet. She's claiming to write new revelation. And Revelation says anybody who adds or takes away from this book, may all the judgments in this book be added to them. Throw it away. It's garbage. It's trash. We don't need something more. We've got God's Word right here. But you know what? If we don't study God's Word, if we don't come to hear God's Word preached and taught, if we don't study God's Word on our own, how will we know that that's falsehood? How will we know that's garbage and trash? You see, the more we learn about God's Word, the more we put it in our hearts, the more discerning we are when we read stuff like that and realize the falsehood of it. Yeah, many Christians have been deceived by that mess because they haven't hidden God's Word in their heart. David said, I hide your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Dear Christians, we've got to be devoted to studying God's Word to protect our church from the cancer of false teaching. Not only does devotion to studying God's Word protect from falsehood, but it also trains for godliness. Devotion to studying God's Word trains for godliness. Notice what he says there in that next little paragraph. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while, the, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it promises for the... for it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this, to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Notice what he says there. Train yourself 
for godliness. Train yourself. Train yourself in God's Word. Take God's Word to the people. Why? Because it trains in godliness. He compares this here to working out, right? Physical training. You go to the gym. You work out to get the body healthy, to get it healthy, to get your heart pumping, to build muscle, bodily training it's of great value as it it keeps our bodies healthy but he says but godliness is even more valuable right even while the physical exercise is good and wonderful the spiritual exercise is far better we need to be more devoted to studying god's word because it trains us in righteousness it builds up the spirit it builds up our our faith in Christ, our relationship with Christ. Oh, how important it is to give ourselves to the study of God's Word. We've got to train in righteousness. We've got to train in righteousness. And you know, that begins by changing the mindset. Training in righteousness always begins with changing the mindset. It it doesn't start by going out and doing good things. No, it it changes by changing the mindset. You go to the doctor, doctor says, hey, man, yeah, you need to exercise and, and get on a diet, right? You're, you're unhealthy. You need to change things. Well, that's all good and great, but if the mindset doesn't change, right? If you don't get that in your head that, man, if I don't start eating better and working out a little bit, getting a little walk in every day, I'm going to die. If that doesn't process in your mind, you're not going to do the exercising. See, we got to begin with changing the mind. And you know what? Scripture has a wonderful way of doing that. Scripture has a wonderful way. It has the power to change the mind. Flip over, if you will, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I just want to show you this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses, verse 16. Here again, Paul is talking to Timothy about some of the same stuff. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, or woman, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice what he says there. Scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God. It's the very Word of God. As Peter said earlier, right, these are not the writings of men, but men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These, these words, the words in this book, are the very words of God. That means a couple of things. First, it, does, it means that this carries the full authority of God. This has the authority of God behind it. To obey God's Word is to obey God. To disobey God's Word is to disobey God. This is God's word. It's God breathed. But not only does it have God's authority, it also has God's power. It has God's power. The power of God that breathed, let there be light. And there was light. It's the same power that is contained in this book, in Scripture. It has the the power to transform the mind and change actions 
That's what he goes on to say there. It is profitable. God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof. And we don't have time to get into this a whole lot. But, but those, that, those, those two words there for teaching, for reproof, have to deal with the, changing the mental thoughts, right? Changing beliefs, what we think about things. It changes our mental attitudes. It changes our will. It has the power to change our beliefs. But it also goes on to say that it's profitable for correction and for training in righteousness. That has to do with our actions, what we do. So God's Word has the power to change our mindset and our actions. It has the power to transform minds. It has the power to transform your mind, to, to make you think differently. That's what Paul gets at in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. That's a passive verb. Be transformed. It's not you're transforming your mind. No, but allow your mind to be transformed as you take in God's Word, as the power of God's Word works on you, as you receive it, as you begin to meditate on it, mull over it, it changes your thought patterns. It transforms your mind. You want to do what God wants you to do? You want to be conformed to God's will? Read God's Word. And God will transform your mind R.C. Sproul said, if you, want to, if you want a new mind, you have to study God's Word more rigorously than you ever have ever studied anything in your life. There's no magical way to know the will of God apart from knowing the Word of God. Studying God's Word transforms your mind, but as it transforms your, your mind, then it produces, it produces spiritual growth, as we grow in Christ, as we get fed the milk, as, as 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, like newborn infants long for the pure milk, spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation as we begin to study God's Word and get into the milk, and then we, we go a little bit deeper and start eating the meat of God's Word, we grow more and more and more in our relationship with God. It matures us. And as we mature in Christ, then we begin to produce fruits of righteousness. We begin to do right things. We begin to act like God wants us to act. To love like God wants us to love. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, Paul says that of the Colossian church, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled by the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. How do we increase knowledge? By studying God's Word. And as we increase our knowledge of God's Word, God increases our fruit the fruit of righteousness. John 15, 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. 
as we study God's Word, as it begins to train us in righteousness, as our mind transforms, and then as we, we go out and begin to do God's will according to His Word, we bring Him honor and glory in our lives. What if you disregard studying God's Word? J.I. Packer said this, Disregard the study of God's Word and you sentence yourself to stumbling and blunder through life blindfolded. That's what you get when you don't study God's Word. You stumble and blunder through life blindfolded. Devote yourself to studying God's Word because it will transform your life. It will transform your mind. It will transform your actions. Oh, church, let us devote ourselves to studying God's Word for God's glory. So studying God's Word is important to the health and the growth of the church because devotion to study, uh, it, it protects the church against falsehood. It trains us in righteousness. And third, devotion to studying God's Word ensures salvation. It ensures salvation. Notice what he says in that last little paragraph there. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believer an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you, uh, given you, you have, which was given, you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you practice these things immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in these and this for here we're getting to the reason for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers by preaching and teaching God's Word, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What is he talking about here? What does he mean that Timothy will save himself by teaching and preaching God's Word? Is there salvation through preaching? No, that is not what he is saying here. As Baptists, of course, we believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Paul preached salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And so he's not talking about salvation through the act of preaching. I'm not sitting up here uh, gaining merit before God because I'm preaching his word today. Furthermore, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved, right? That's how we kind of put it. But we need to be clear about that. You see, because many people have, have found false assurance in the, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. There's a lot of people who say, well, I, I made this profession of faith back many, many years ago in Bible school, and so that profession of faith, right, right, walk, walking the aisle and saying that prayer with the preacher, that means once saved, always saved, I'm saved. Yet the rest of their life, they live for hell. No, no, no. You, you see, Scripture is clear on this. Those who truly are saved will persevere in the faith. Perseverance of the saints is not, I said a prayer when I was five years old, I'm good. 
Perseverance of the faith means that, that something changes in you. Christ saves you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And you change. You persevere in the faith. You persevere in the Christian walk. Scripture is absolutely clear on this. Genuine saving faith is persevering and productive faith. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, if you abide in My Word, if you abide in My Word, if you remain in My Word, if you live in My Word, you are truly My disciple. Matthew 10, 22, And you will be hated by all for My name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Judas didn't endure to the end. G Judas was never saved. I think about Joshua Harris. Joshua Harris was once a well-known preacher. He pastored a, a prestigious, solid, evangelical church up north. He published several Christian books. I have some of them in my library. He spoke at major Christian events. In fact, I've heard him speak before. Yet in 2019, he announced that he is, he is no longer, he no longer considers himself to be a Christian. He walked away from the faith. He did not endure. He didn't endure. He didn't persevere. Now him walking away, it's not that he fell from grace. But the evidence of his life, him walking away from the faith, is evidence he would never was saved to begin with. He was living a lie. He was raised Christian. He knew the talk. He knew how to walk to walk. He knew how to talk to talk. His parents wanted him to be a preacher, so he just followed that mold. But when, but when his true nature came out, he never was saved. Because if he was truly saved, he never would have walked away from the faith. A true Christian can't walk away from Jesus. A true Christian will never walk away from Jesus. A true Christian endures in the faith. A true Christian continues to grow in their walk with Jesus. Some at faster speeds than others, absolutely. But the one who perseveres in the faith is the one who is truly saved. And so he tells Timothy to have that insurance, right? That assurance. To continue in the faith. To continue carrying out your calling. And as you preach God's Word, as you do what God has called you to do, you have that assurance of faith in your own walk. There's that assurance of faith Assurance of persevering in the faith. I read this last week, but it's worth repeating. James Montgomery Boyce once said, If you are spirit-filled, then you will be drawn to this book. If you are not drawn to this book, if you do not really want to study it, if you say, well, you know, I look at the Bible from time to time, but it seems rather boring to me, 
It never really does much for me. You ought to question whether you are really born again. Or if you are born again, you at least ought to question whether you are filled by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, whose chief task is to bear witness to Jesus Christ, inevitably draws the people of God to Jesus through the Scriptures. When we endure in the Scriptures, that doesn't save us. The studying of Scripture in itself will not save you, but it sure gives assurance of your salvation when you delight in this book. Furthermore, it leads to studying Scripture leads to the faithful proclamation of the gospel, especially as a church. As the word is preached week after week after week, the gospel is proclaimed week after week after week because this book is ultimately about Jesus Christ. And so as the gospel is proclaimed, hearts come under conviction. People turn in repentance and salvation is brought to light. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Devotion to studying God's Word as a church ensures salvation as we delight in the Word of God. But it also ensures salvation as the Gospel goes out in proclamation. Studying God's Word must be central to everything we do, church. It must be central to everything that we do. God's Word is our foundation because God's Word ultimately is about Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate foundation, right? Everything's built upon Jesus, the Word who became flesh. But how are we to know the Word that became flesh without knowing the Word written? Scripture must be central to everything we do as a church, corporately and individually. Lifeway recently published a study in which they discovered most Protestant churchgoers, that is 65% of Protestant churchgoers, spend time alone with God, at least daily. I was amazed by that when I first read it. Then I went on to read the rest of the study. They also discovered out of 65% of those who said they spend time alone with God, only 39% actually read the Bible. The rest admit that they pray, which is important, right? It's one of the devotions we're going to get to. it. It's, it's absolutely important, but they never spend time reading God's Word. They're only in a monologue. God, here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear. I don't care what you have to say to me. Here's what I want you to hear. There's a problem with that. Prayer is good, and we've got to pray. We're going to get to that. We have got to pray. We've got to be devoted to prayer. But with prayer comes Bible study. 
Because if all we're doing is praying, we're just telling God our wish list. Here's where we find out what God wants from us. We've got to get into His Word. We've got to study His Word. If we want to grow in our faith, if we want to grow as a church, spiritually and numerically, we have to be devoted to studying God's Word. Church, let us devote ourselves to studying God's Word. Week in, week out, day in and day out. Let us study God's Word. Now, if you happen to be here today and you don't know Jesus, then studying God's Word will have little effect upon your life. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, studying God's Word will be interesting, but it will not be transforming. The first thing you have to do is not to study the written Word, but to receive the Word that became flesh, Jesus Christ. Because God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live and die for you. So that you could have forgiveness of your sins, your rebellion against God, and receive salvation. And if you trust in Jesus Christ today, He will save you. Trust in Jesus. Surrender your life to Him. Then get into this book and see how it will transform your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Oh Lord, give us a heart of devotion to Your Word. One of the most important things that we can do as a church is to study Your Word together. So Father, let us be faithful in that. And certainly, Lord, if there's those today who've never trusted in Jesus, the Word that became flesh, Lord, turn their hearts to Christ today. Let them receive Jesus, trust in Him, and begin to experience the life transformation that only He provides. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.